everyone, my name is Kanai Kapadia, and on this episode of Hindsight, I'll be speaking with Rafi Yitzaki. In 2000, Rafi was on a trip from Israel to visit his brother and ended up staying in Chicago to start Chicago's first internet cafe. Now, I know it's 2020, and most of us here in the United States still wish our internet speed was faster. But in 2001, Broadband Cafe at the corner of Michigan and Randolph was a hit. Until, of course, Starbucks rolled out complimentary internet. So just one year after opening the cafe, Rafi renamed his business to Gear XS and began the first of four transformations he made on his way to building a business that would generate $50 million a year when he sold the company in 2018. Today, he operates three successful e-commerce sites and is attracting a lot of media interest with a patented keychain tool. Rafi, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. What was it like to be a year or so into running your own business and realize that you have a major competitor to contend with. Of course, I'm referring to Starbucks when you were running Broadband Cafe. As a young entrepreneur, it was uh, really challenging to find out it's within a year. Your competitor wasn't a directly competitor. He basically just somehow offered a free service for clients to come over and sit down and benefit out of it to their business. So within three months, we had to pivot and made a major change at Internet Cafe. And we made it as a small computer shops that's selling products to clients in uh, Chicago downtown. So we were also one of the first small electronic computer shop in downtown Chicago. So did you convert the cafe, broadband cafe, into actually a storefront? Or are you talking about creating a different location elsewhere? So we start... uh, creating a small store in downtown. But then when we, then we figure it out. That's the Internet Cafe, basically. And where did the idea for Gear XS come from? Uh, the idea of Gear XS starts from gearing up a product that you need to build a computer. And it's access to gear, basically, that you need to build computers. So we sold a mainboard, we sold graphics cards, anything that's related to the computer case, peripherals, cables. That was the business that's removed from the internet cafe to an online store that's selling only computer products. And when you were thinking about making that decision, was it a tough one in your mind or was it sort of a no-brainer? It was a tough one, but in the meantime, no-brainer because you had to pivot right away. Sometimes the market give you some times to react, but as a company like Starbucks, when they rolled something like that, it was within 90 days. We had to be prepared for the next idea, the next, wow, what's, you know, what's going to make our company different? Yeah. So did you close up shop? Did you sell? What did you do? No, we had to close up the shop and move to Skokie, Illinois. It was lots of expenses over there. After all, it's uh, Chicago downtown. From the parking to uh, shipping to even finding employees to do uh, pick and pack, that was a pretty challenging uh, moment. Now, did you found the business on your own or were you partnering with someone? No, I'm 100% uh, owner of the business since day one. And yeah, I came to the US with a $3,000. That was uh, the story. And that's how I uh, pivot, you know, 
all the beginning of the business and find ways to make money. And basically just took uh, small loans from friends, from family, and built my own business. Of all the businesses you could have started, why did you choose parts resale? It's drawn me more in because I like changes and to see the market change in a retail business, and especially with computers and technology, it's uh, challenged me as a young entrepreneur. I like to see changes at all in life. If it's uh, the speed of graphic cards or processors by Intel or then AMD that came out with different speeds and all those changes in the market within a short period of time helped us to grow up our business also like that and have specific products for specific clients. And then as GearXS grew, what would you say are the top three or five most pivotal changes that happened in the business's journey to where you sold it? So yeah. it was a major changes we made, especially in 2008, when the recession started hitting the market. We used to sell before that refurbished products. And what's happening in the recession, people not buying brand new products, so there's no really returns. And we couldn't refurb any products. We didn't have enough inventory in the market. So we had to change uh, the way we look at the market. And one of my clients owed me some money. So he paid me with uh, 6,000 bedsheets. That was, yeah, I'm selling computer parts. And then we have about half a container coming with bedsheets. And my employees look at me like, uh, what's that? I'm like, okay, if we have to sell it and make you know money, I mean, let's do it. So at that day, we put them online for uh, $19.99 with a free shipping. And uh, within four hours, we sold the whole stock, 6,000 pieces within four hours. That was amazing and, you know, aha moment for the entrepreneur out there and say, okay, I probably find different product because at the end retail, it's all about the product, customers, the product that they need. And all the time you have to find the uniqueness to be the first one to pop out there with a product and say, okay, I have it. So that's what's happened in 2008. The pivot starts with carrying everyday product, universal product, we call that. From the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to sleep at night. And Batchit was one of those products. Sure. We all need sheets. When you were making this pivot, was it gradual or was it literally, was there a decision made and the rest is history type thing? We knew that we need to make a change. We just, we didn't look at it right, probably. And it just surprised us to find out there in a business that we are at, the online business, things changing quick. So with technology, that's what people also like, change. The pivot happened gradually also because we had to find different vendors. If we forward that, we used to buy Intel products or Microsoft products. Right now, we have to buy linens and we have to buy batches and toothbrushes and, and, and all this kind of stuff that customers need on a daily basis and to find vendors for that. So right now, we had to go to uh, different uh, trade shows. We had to deal with different vendors, even overseas vendors, and change the whole way the company worked, almost from A to Z at some point. And at that point in the business, how large was Gear XS? So at that point, in 2012, we reached from a five, six million dollar business. Uh, we grew all the way up to 35 million, and then at the 47 million in 2013, it brought us a. I will say we process about 12,000 orders a day, and at the holiday season, our top was 57,000 orders a day. We shipped it a Sunday, all by hand. A lot of boxes. 
Uh, lots of boxes. A lot of paper cuts, I imagine. <laughs> yes, correct. Yeah. For you personally, what was the most nerve-wracking aspect of decision-making? You know, everyone has their own thing, whether it's pivot, which it sounds like you make with great confidence. Others find people issues more natural. But what aspects of making changes to the business were hardest for you? The hardest for me, I thought it was logistics. The whole logistic was, I thought we can automize it, but the capital wasn't there to do it. So we had to use a lot of manual work. But at the end, I didn't see the main issue problem that was in the accounting system and include the ERP system that we didn't have. We didn't have a correct inventory system that's connected to our websites. We didn't have the right accounting team to monitor and check every uh, vendor and every payment. And we concentrate more on the solution than the problem. And by solution, you mean automation? The solution to go through automation when basically the problem was we don't have the the tools to get into automation. So if we purchase machines for pick and pack, we didn't have the right softwares or the right system to print those labels. So if we have to ship uh, about 50,000 orders during the holiday system a day, that's caused a huge problem with finding employees to do the pick and pack while machines could do it, but we didn't connect our system to the machines. Mm -hmm. So that caused lots of manual work. So ERP, accounting systems, automation, that spans a lot of different stuff, Mm -hmm. right? Correct. Today, with the benefit of hindsight, you see these things as key elements that were missing. At the time, what did you view as the key element that was missing? Or maybe you didn't. I didn't really. It was a highlight at uh, 2013 when I hired a real CFO to start looking at our numbers. And then I joined also a uh, advisory group. It's basically look from the outside and say, wait a second, the problem is not your solution that you're looking at automation. The problem start from the marketing team that's pushing orders to the system and you don't have the right system to work together with your logistic system. So it was disconnect between those two systems. And so at that point, did you put those systems in place? We start putting those systems in place. We start looking for uh, much better, I will say, minders to work for the companies and benefit out. But then we find out it's we, it could be sometime a little bit to the game, meaning like it's we start implementing stuff, we start doing things. But the mistakes that our team made, and I'm taking a full responsibility for that, it's that we didn't have enough time at the end because clients start, you know, not paying and we find it a little bit too late. I want to make sure I understand all of that. So you put some systems in place, but by the time you really started to make use of them, it was essentially too late. You had a non-payment issue. That was a big problem for you. Yeah, we were run out of oxygen, I can say, towards the end because we didn't have enough money to combine those two systems together. And by the time we even got there, one of our clients bankrupt on us and the bank basically called a loan. So we had to liquidate a part of the business. Wow. Yes. So you had to sell at an inopportune time, if you will. Correct. Part of the business, rather. Yes, correct. So I had to do that to basically save one side of the business and just move on in my life. 
That sounds pretty tough. Where does that rank in terms of hard changes to make in the business? It's coming back. If you take me back in 2012 and 13, when I grew up too fast, I had to slow down the whole system and say, okay, what we do right and what we do wrong. And instead of that, all the time, look at what we do right. I never look what we do wrong. And I wish we can go back and just say like, okay, we have to sit down and figure out why our, you know, our inventory is X, Y, and Z. If we have, I will say time on shelf, okay, aging. If we have an issue with AR, if we have an issue with uh, HR even, with uh, hiring the right people. Back in the day, 12, 2012 or 2013, when I were at the 30 and $40 million, I made the right decision with the right team. And today I can say, no, I didn't make the right decision because I didn't have the right team in place. Hmm. So the decision you made at that point was that you're saying was the wrong decision was what exactly? Was it these systems you put in place or that you didn't have them? Or was it something else? I didn't manage the risk that far enough. I mean, growth can be your biggest enemy at some point. And uh, that's exactly what's happened. When you grow, you all the time have to look at what's not working. Look at exactly what you can do to minimize the damage that's in the future will be, you know, if it's going to hit you, it's not going to hit you that hard. For example, if I take the clients that didn't pass and it was in the millions of dollars, if I have to look at that, if I had the right accounting team, I most likely will find out that the customer is way over the limit and is not paying on time and basically stop dropshipping for them. Mm-hmm. So, and by the time I hired the CFO at the end of 2013, beginning of 2014, it was a little bit too late for the game, I say, because that client caused a big damage for our company. We tried to fix it in the next four years, but uh, in 2018, we had to basically just sell the business. Mm-hmm. Would you say that in the early years, and by early years, I mean, really from when you started the company, even through the transition to universal products, growth came fairly easily? To a point, because it was very easily, but probably as a young entrepreneur, you able to handle five, seven, ten million dollar company, but when it comes to ten plus million dollar, ten to twenty to thirty million dollar company, you start uh, dealing, and there's different challenges mm-hmm. because your team it's not five to ten employees. You're talking about hundreds of employees right now. You're talking about lots of expenses. That's if you don't monitor them right, if you don't look around, if you don't check it on a weekly base, on a quarterly base then you can get yourself into trouble very quickly because just the rent for our place was at the 45,000 a year, a month, sorry. Okay, think about how many sales you have to make and how many shipments and the gross profit and the net margin and all these kind of things that I were not aware about to the point. And again, I didn't have the right team back in the day and I wish I would made the, the right decision back at 2012. Yeah, sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Oh yeah, of course. When you were reaching that 10-ish million dollar point, I imagine someone at some point said, Rafi, you know, you might want to think about how you scale this business more effectively, right? In a more manageable fashion. There are other companies that have been through this process. And while your business is unique, perhaps there's a lot to learn from what those other companies have done. What was your attitude towards that mindset at the time? At the time, 
when people want to come and change things, it could be a kind of like, I will say a fear that you don't want even to think about changes. You want a container and say, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know the system working. I know we can, you know, keep pushing and just using what we have. But you're getting to a point that you can't. You're reaching the limit. The people, the system that you have are going to crash if you're not going to do the right decision. So when we start processing, for example, that amount of orders, about 10, 20,000 orders, then you need a better printers. Then you need better machines. I mean, all the technology, basically, we had to change it from A to Z. And I, at some point, I can say I was a little bit stubborn. I protect the company. I protect the, you know, the solution, as I call it, to make sure that everything working right. But I wish it was a little bit more guidance for me. Okay, like someone that's on my right side and telling me like, okay, we have to do it that way or but show me I'm a very analytic person. So I have to see numbers and I have to see where exactly I'm bleeding at. And I guess I understand that when customers not paying, but it's more than just customers not paying. It's the risk management in every company has to be something that, you know, you check in it and you make sure that you're as the owner not looking at what's coming in. Also, you look at what's going on. So. One of the questions, and I appreciate you letting me sort of dig into your mind here. One of the questions I frequently get is, what makes sense for a company this size? And part of the rationale is, to your point, you could spend all day making certain aspects of your business better, better printers, better process, better systems, etc. What was your perspective on what mattered most to the business at that point? Was it more growth? Yes, growth was the most, and again, instead of it was like, you know, straight growth, it was like turn all the way, you know, to the right or to the left. It wasn't a right bro with, I will say, a plan. That's, that's exactly our goal. That's what we do. And then if we're reaching that goal, that's the next thing. That's what we do. So step by step, if you look at that, I was the only decision maker. I didn't build a team around me to help me to make the decisions. And that's one of the things that I'm, today I'm looking back and I'm saying, okay, of course, the companies I'm running today, I have more decision maker than me. And actually, I'm just advising, okay, to my team. And I'm looking from outside. And that's something that I didn't do before. I didn't delegate before. I didn't trust people. And that's what's coming a lot to young entrepreneurs that sometimes we think we know what we do. And we want to trust people, but we need to find out the right people to trust, the right people to go and help you to take your company to the next level in, you know, in a most profitable way. How do you find that trusted person in your own world? That's a really hard question. What I figure it out when you build a team, you need, first of all, a really strong person next to you on your right hand. It doesn't matter how much it's going to cost you. If you believe in that person, he's going to believe in you. And that's how it starts. When I build Alien Consulting, my new business have my right hand person. It doesn't matter how much it's cost. I mean, I will make sure she's happy. I'm listening to her. I'm giving her the attention. A lot of business owners don't see it like that. They basically think that their employees has to work for them and make them happy and work. No, I mean, you have to have the person and trust this person because without that person, you have to build people. And if you don't build a person next to you, you will never be able to help him to grow or your company grow because then you're working in your business, not on your business. Mm -hmm. Trust is a two-way street. Always. So if you were to go back to, um, let's say, we'll, we'll give you more breathing room. We'll go back to 2010 when things were still up and to the right. 
if you had to go back and have a chat with that younger version of Rafi, what advice would you give him based on all these things that you've learned over time? My excuse was all the time when I, I didn't ask for help, but people ask to help me. I all the time say that I know what I'm doing. I'm good with what I have. You know, I don't need more than that. I didn't listen. So if I go back, I will tell myself, okay, listen first and make sure that you have in your mind a plan, but then you have to put it on paper. You have to present it to your team. And you have to make sure that it's everybody on board with you. If I will have to say what would be the big change, it's again, to hire the two strong people next to me and then take one of them and make him like a VP or maybe the CEO and I'm going to be the president because I'm the visionary. I know exactly where I want to take the company, but when you work in your company, when you even go in and do shipping at some time, when we were so busy, I left my office and I pick and pack products just to make sure that I thought all the time it's motivating my employees, but I didn't understand that that crucial time, how much I'm losing. Because an hourly rate for Rafi, it's not the same hourly rate for any other employees at a company. So I didn't value myself high enough. Today, I will say, Rafi, take a step back, hire these two people, build a team, have a plan, make sure that you see uh, the reports that you want to see every day, huddle meetings in the morning, then we have as of today, I can tell you, every morning at 10 o'clock in the morning, we have a huddle meeting. Every week on Thursday, we have company meeting for an hour. And every two weeks, we have a number meeting, we call it. And at the end of the month, uh, a week after end of the month, we basically have the report for the month before. We're not waiting for our accounting team to give it to us. And that's what's before. We all the time, nobody was accountable for anything in the company. So we had to all the time pivot to the wrong, you know, uh, the wrong way and just say, okay, we can wait with that and we can process it later. We was more concentrating on the growth of the company, on the marketing, on all that part, but we didn't invest in the other side of the company, the accounting team, the systems, at the ERP, at the inventory system, where we bleed at. So to maybe summarize that, would you say you were focused on growing, but growing in the short term? not necessarily the things that need to come next in the midterm or perhaps even the long term. If you're at Q4, you can say you can work at a short terms, but at the long run, the rest of the year, you all the time have to work You know, at the long terms. You have to see everything. You have to look at all the departments at your companies. Each one of them, it's important. You cannot say that one of them is more important than the other. Yes, each one of them can be more profitable than the other, maybe. But if you take one of that, you know, screws out of your system, the system will suffer. So you have to all the time evaluate, right, each one of the department and learn how to listen to your employees, to uh, the people around you. So listen first. Yes, that's what your wife telling you every day, no? (laughs) (laughs) Listen first, yes. Nothing's changed in that regard. No, no. What was the high point for Gear Access? So again, the growth. Uh, when you see, I remember outside of our warehouse, we had like a three semi truck of UPS waiting to pick our boxes. And then you see in each truck about 53, 53 skids going in and it just makes you feel good. Very good to know that you make people happy that your products, the orders, everything, you know, went out 
Especially the holiday season, we my, my employees all the time uh, feel like they are little halves, you know, working at, you know, <laughs> we, we used to have the Christmas music around and the people pick and pack. Uh, it was beautiful, beautiful to see this whole thing. And uh, today, I mean, I missed that part, but I will say that was a highlight. Today, I can see as you talk about my patent earlier, that's my highlight today. And we can talk about it later. And, and that is the highlight of Gear Access and to have and create jobs. That was like the best of the best. To see people going happy every day, know every employee by his name. And at some point, I had a 500 employees. So that was very satisfying. I'm actually very surprised at how much, perhaps I shouldn't be, but I'm always surprised by how much time most business owners put into thinking about their employees. and. Uh, in the sense that it's a responsibility that they have to them for their employment, for their own families, their own futures and aspirations and this sort of thing. So that's it's very interesting to hear. I say that if you're a business owner and perhaps you don't care about your employees, because I, I don't believe that any business owner don't care about the employees. It's a mission for us to create jobs and to love what we do and to see the people around us helping us to create our uh, dream, dream comes true. And uh, we need to remember that because employees are the core of every business. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So other than outstanding Christmas music, in the end, what made it worth it all for you? If you go back and you look at that time period, was it the money? Was it the friends? Was it the jobs? What was it that made it worth it all for you? I will say it's a chain of a lots of things because it's all start with a product. When you find a product, then you find a vendor and then you find the right clients for that. And then you hire people to help you to push those products. If it's shipping it out, if you to market a product, if it's to work in accounting team. And later on, you benefit out of it and you're making money and, and you enjoy. So I love traveling and that's part of the thing. So it's helping you to achieve your dreams in different ways. So. Each one of the aspects, what I talked about a second ago, helped me to run my business because you benefit out of each part of the, you know, of the business. And yeah, going to vacations and see my employees and everything working like a clock, that's also a satisfaction because then you know that they appreciate you, they appreciate your time. And uh, as much as uh, you give them, they're giving back to you. Mm -hmm. So they're investing in you because you're investing in them. Yes, that's exactly how, you know, would word it. So as you build these next e-commerce businesses and you take Hookie to market, are you applying these principles that you learned at Gear XS? Are they applicable? Very similar, but in the meantime, with a lots of cushion to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. With Hookie, it's building a brand, but in different ways. It's still in the retail business, but I'm learning more and more how to take a product that's uh, never introduced into the market because it's my patented product from 2015. And apparently, Hookie works great during the pandemic 2020. And to see also that the product that I made people believe in that, that made like the, the feeling uh, unbelievable feeling to see that people believe in your product using that. And later on, I've been talking about it. So for you, it's all about solving the underserved need. 
or unsolved problem? Most of the problem are solved, but yeah, when it's come to innovation, what I done with Hoki, yes, it's uh, definitely solving or minimizing the problem. I wish I could solve the problem because COVID nineteen and any infections out there known, you know, it's very hard uh, to fight it. And as we can see, we're losing lots of people. But the fact that, and I, I, my mission is, and I told myself, if I would be able to save one person life by inventing hooky. My mission is complete. Interesting. Most people set big goals, millions of people, millions of dollars, and yours is one. That's your number. Yeah. My father, before, actually yesterday, it was his memorial day, eight years since I lost my uh, best friend, my father. And uh, he taught us to give as much as we can. I was a paramedic uh, in Israel also for six years. And I saw lots of things that, as a kid, I will call it, shouldn't see. And that's taught me a lot about life, about people. The reason I invented Uki, it's uh, back at uh, 2014 when I heard it's about 23 kids died just in the Chicago area from um, complication of HZ1, uh, the influenza. I guess that was really heartbreaking. And I say, I have to do something. When I find out it's my kids coming home and sitting for dinner and not washing their hands, that was a highlight for me. Okay, what's going on here? We find out that uh, our kids not washing their hands uh, at school before lunch. And the reason is because they don't have enough time for that. And that's caused me to have the aha moment and create hooky. And again, that's where helping and trying to not just again, it is, yeah, so then I'm going to make money out of it, but it's a risk that I took to help people to get healthier. Mm -hmm. Well, Rafi, I hope someone hears this and can help you save just one more life or one life, period. Thank you very much. Thank you, Kanai. Absolutely. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I appreciate you sharing as much as you have. So there is one thing, a mission in my life that's uh, I'm talking all the time and talk about paid forward. If you guys watched the movie or didn't, paid forward, it's an excellent movie. To show, like, if we will be kind and uh, give to three people, and those three people are going to help the other three people, our, our world is going to be a much better world. And uh, we need more good people in our world because there is a lot of negativity. And our job is just to make it more positive and beautiful for everybody. So, thank you very much, Kanai. Absolutely. Thank you, Rafi. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Hindsight. If you lead a business or are a student of business, this show is for you. Please subscribe and tune in for a new episode each week. My name is Kanai Kapadia, and this show is produced by KGK and Company, the fast emerging strategic consultancy, the middle market business. You can find us online at www.agkcompany.com. That's A-G-K-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y.com. Have a good one, folks, and I'll talk to you next week.